This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to the Known and Never podcast. Listeners, we are back. It's a new season, it's a new team, and it's a whole new show. For the next nine months, we're going to be bringing you news and analysis from the Premier League's official favourite team. So grab yourselves a brew and let's settle in. we begin with some introductions. This voice, of course, will be familiar to our regular listeners. I am, of course, your host, Natalie Bromley. I am sorry, you couldn't get rid of me that easily. But I do have a new team around me. So let's start and let's get you introduced to the team. Joining me this year is going to be producer Matt, who regular listeners will remember we introduced you to last season as he was taking over from old producer Adam. Now, Matt's going to be responsible as ever for editing and producing the chaos that you've become used to and what you all know and love. On the panel, we have a new voice. I'm going to be joined by my new partner in crime, Robbie Kopak. Robbie, welcome to the show. How unfortunate for you. <laughs> I'm hoping that you're going to keep me as grounded as James has. That's going to be your brief for this season. I hope you realise this when I get overexcited. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> Good. So, yeah, uh, Robbie will be joining me every single week, but we're going to be intertwining this season with a new feature, and that is going to be our fan panel. Now, some of you may have seen this already on our social media when we launched this season's podcast, but we actually want to hear from you this season. We are going to be bringing in each week um, some fans. You must have been to the game. You must have something exciting to tell us about the Clarets. But either way, you just need to be enthusiastic. So if you want to come on the show, if you want to join us some weeks, drop us a line at the usual channels. Tweet us at nonenever.net or you can go to our website, nonenever.net and email us from there. 
Next up in our new panel is a name you will recognise from our International Women's Day special. We welcome back this season Gemma Avery, who's going to be our women's football correspondent. And Gemma's going to be giving us monthly updates on BFC Ladies, on the Lionesses, where they've got some news to report, and any significant news from the WSL. Gemma, welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me. It's nice to see the ladies are on the up. We're taking over now. <laughs> we are. I see. See what happened, listeners. As soon as James left me, I got women back on the panel. This is a successful <laughs> thing. Um, Gemma, do you want to just introduce your monthly feature and let us know exactly what we can expect from your show? So we're going to be looking at doing a monthly feature that's going to round up um, the progress of the women um, in this new flight of football um, that we're in that we've never been in before um, and just sort of look at the performances on the pitch, look at the growth of the game and what's kind of happening on the women's circuit in a general sense and just talk about um, kind of the changes and how the game's going to grow hopefully over the next year. Exciting times. So do you want to start by giving us an update on Burnley Ladies? Because I know um, the ladies had a promotion last season and I think a lot of our listeners probably won't know what that means, especially in the new structure of, of the Women's Football League. So do you want to fill us in on where our girls are? Absolutely. So if you, by any means have been confused about the restructure of women's football do not panic as someone that has worked in women's football who's worked at Arsenal as of a couple of years ago in women's football this new season structure is mind-boggling still we don't know quite what's happening with the promotion the relegations the playoffs and whatnot so everyone's in the same boat um but the really good news is that women at Burnley FC women's team um last year secured promotion last year they were in um the Northwest Women's Regional League Premier Division. Um, so that's where they were playing teams like Wigan, Fleetwood Town, Wrens, a really good quality, a really sort of good standard of football. Um, they went up as champions last year and have now um, are going to be playing in the National League, which is um, the National Division One North. So the kind of teams they're going to be playing in this next season are the likes of Newcastle, Leeds, Bolton, um, and just in kind of in terms of where that sits in the overall structure, at the very top of women's football, you've got WSL one, which is where your City, your Arsenal, uh, Chelsea ladies all are, or Chelsea women as we're all now becoming. Underneath that, what we, what used to be WSL two is now known as the FA Women's Championship. So a bit highlight, you've got your Premier League and your Championship. The second tier is called the Championship in women's football. Underneath that, underneath that, you've got your FA Women's National Leagues. Now you've got a northern and southern version of that. And that's where our friends down the M65 are, Blackburn Rovers. It's where Middlesbrough are. It's where Crystal Palace are across, obviously, the northern and southern version. And then Burnley um, FC Women are now underneath that. So we're kind of roughly in the fourth tier of uh, women's football in the country. But to say that we've only really kind of come under um, Burnley have seen the community's um, wings over the past year, it's a huge amount of progress past couple of years that's happened with the team. Um, so it's really, really exciting. And the fact that obviously community took over the operations of the women's team in the past couple of years, and it's just gone from strength to strength um, to secure obviously the highest um, level of football that we've had so far in the area. So it's really exciting times. The team's outstanding. Um, last year, they achieved um, something that's not been done before by the team, which was the third round in the Women's FA Cup. Um, so if you can imagine in the men's team, getting around to the third round is when kind of your other teams, your professional teams start coming in. Um, that's very similar to how it is in the women's game. So the fact that um, Burnley FC women were in that kind of pool was amazing. Um 
So yeah, it's just really exciting times. They're, they're absolute goal scoring machines at Burnley FC women. Um, there's a very familiar name in there, which I'm not sure, too sure if uh, everyone knows about yet, but there's a lady called Georgia Payton, who's at uh, Payton, sorry, who's playing for them. It's a very familiar last name to That's those. Uh, That's a familiar yes. name. Yes, and uh, I think she's been worked very hard by um, Andy Payton. You see, if you go on his Twitter page, you'll see that they're all doing all sorts of drills and stuff. So I don't think there's any excuses for her not to be uh, a very, very strong player. But she's she's a goal scoring machine. Um, I mean, on Sunday they beat Bradford City women eight nil. We're seriously talking about some drummings that are coming in with Burnley FC women. So um, it's really exciting. The competition um, is going to be a lot harder this year. They are going to be bring, tackling some really big, well respected teams. Um, but you know like I said since Burnley have seen the community took them over they've got a really strong coaching set up now around the women's senior team um, you know there's no reason why they really can't go on and achieve some awesome stuff this season that is so exciting I honestly I can't I can't wait to hear how they're going to get on the rest of the season and I think um I think for us, a lot of the, I guess, expectation is that they're just going to obviously smash it with these goals that you say coming in and such pedigree up front. But obviously, I realise that there's going to be a lot of hard work that goes into those team. But it'd be great if our listeners could get behind them and support them. And also as well, you know, listeners, if you've got daughters, nieces, you know, any any young girls who are looking at uh, wanting to play football, then, then, you know, get get involved in Burnley and, and see if you can get, uh, get them down to the ladies game. Um, Gemma, where can our fans watch the BFC women play if they want to see them so over the summer, um, Burnley have seen the community agreed a partnership with Paddy MFC. Um, so it's a really nice kind of facility now to be going and watching women's football. I think previously, I think the games were being played um, at the Prairie and a few other locations. Um, and they've still got all like the development and the younger teams playing on the Prairie. So if anyone's got any daughters, as you say, nieces, anything like that, who are sort of younger and want to go and play football, get them down to the Prairie, get them going to those sessions and just see if they like it. You know, they're never going to know until they try it. Um, but then to go and watch the women's senior team, it's at Paddy MFC and um, it's £2 for adults to get in and it's free for under-16s. Um, they play most of the games on Sundays, so there's absolutely no excuses, apart from obviously, I know that we've got the odd Euro- European game happening on Sundays now, um, but there's no excuses not to get down there for, you know, for £2. Um, all the money that gets raised um, goes back into the club and goes to Paddy MFC. So um, it's a really worthwhile thing. And I think if you have got any daughters from someone you know, as a first-hand perspective, I've worked with so many young kids getting involved in women's football. Just get them to see that it's a viable thing that they can go on and be really successful playing football. Um, they might not be any good, but it's just such a good thing for girls in general to get involved with in football. As you go into high school and you're going to have every single pressure under the sun, having something like football as a bit of an outlet, um, you know, is really, really good. So I really hope that people do get behind it. Um, you know, if anyone's got any questions or, you know, wants a pal to come and watch it with them, just give us a shout because I think it'd be really nice if, um, you know, some of the men's supporters really do get behind the team. Yeah, it really does. I think, you know, we all love everything Claret and Blue. So if we can get behind the, the, the women women's club, that'd be fantastic. Um, Definitely. So before we sign off, Gemma, is there anything else, any news or anything else, women's football that we need to know about? Yeah, so I mentioned briefly that obviously the um, women's game in this country massively restructured over the summer. Um, it's still all a little bit up in the air because it's quite controversial that people like Doncaster Rover, uh, well, Donny Bells, as everybody knows them, um, were... Um, 
not successful in reapplying for their license. Um, and then you've had a team known as Manchester United Women get a secured license for the second tier women's football. So it's all a little bit controversial at the moment in women's fo- football as to who's playing, who isn't. Um, you've still very much got the same big teams in the top tier. West Ham were a new addition to the top tier um, this year. The new season starts this weekend. So it'll be really interesting to see how they get on. Um, and then, like I say, Man United's been the big news. Um, they've signed a couple of really experienced players like Siobhan Chamberlain, who was a former um, England goalkeeper Alex Greenwood and then they've literally just gone for youth really exciting kind of under 21s and younger um, and they're a really exciting prospect to watch because United's got the most successful women's academy in the country but obviously previously they've all gone to City or to Liverpool whereas now they've actually got a viable pathway of going and playing professional football or semi-professional um, at the moment so that's a really exciting one to watch and then obviously the Lionesses um Quite a few people got into it last year. We reached the semi-finals in the summer. Um, and then, as we know, Mr. Neville took over, which we're all, when we're on the International Women's Day, we're all a bit like, is this going to work? Um, and it seems to be working. It seems to really reinvigorated the team, has brought in a lot of youth. Um, and it's really exciting. We've had some really good results. We've beaten teams like France. Um, and we've got a couple more games, one at the end of this month and then one a week later, which are the uh, World Cup group qualifiers. So um, it's all happening over the next month. So so hopefully people can start getting involved and learning it. And I promise it's not as complicated as it sounds. It makes loads of sense. What you start Once you start watching it, it makes loads of sense. Yeah, it definitely did for me. I got Gemma to give me a bit of a crash course before we started. So, I, I like <laughs> Gemma, thanks so much. I'm really, really looking forward to seeing what you, um, I guess, what you deliver the rest of the season in terms of, of updates for us. Um, Gemma's going to be staying for the rest of the show so she can be uh, filling in on the senior men's results as well. Um, but before we move on to some analysis, we've just got one more member of the New Look team to introduce to you and that is resident statistician Dave Roberts. Dave, welcome to the team. Hi Nat. Hello. Now, as all of you who follow Dave on Twitter know, Dave is our stats guy. And we will speak to Dave again later on in the in the show. But basically, we are asking Dave now to give us some analysis um, in the build up to the next games rather than just discussing who we think will play and whether we think we'll win. We're actually going to get some head to head stats and a little bit of, uh, of statistician from Dave. So we look forward to that. But before we get there, we have the small matter of some Burnley men's senior results to talk about. We have our opening Premier League fixture away at Southampton. And we have the small matter of some European fixtures. So to start this, we're going to introduce our first member of our fan panel, and that is Tom Whitaker. Tom travels the country watching the Clarets and now travels Europe. Tom both went away to the, uh, the Aberdeen game and to the Istanbul game. So we want to ask Tom to talk to us about what that experience was like getting his passport, getting on a plane and actually getting into another European country to watch the Clarets. Tom, welcome to the show. Hi, Natalie. How are you? Hi, I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Safely very back. Well, Tired, but yeah, so I can imagine. I can imagine. <laughs> Please tell us you didn't make the trip all the way down to Southampton as well. Uh, no, so that was a bridge too far for me. That was the first game I've yeah. missed actually since April 2017, so I was a bit disappointed, but wow, I saved the pennies really? this year. So. <laughs> yeah, what a hero. Well, you're going to have quite a few more trips. Um, so Tom, I think. Can we just can you just tell us what it was like and talk us through your Istanbul experience, especially? I think obviously as exciting as Aberdeen was, a lot of people didn't leave our actual island to go to a European game, and I think a lot of us, um, you know, were really jealous of the five hundred or so fans who made their way over to Turkey to watch the game. So just just talk us through what that experience was like. Yeah, it was really 
really quite a surreal uh, experience. There's quite a lot of little moments where you've got to pinch yourself, you know, sitting in an airport in Berlin and we bump into a lad that we used to sit near at the turf, uh, you know, standing in a bar in in middle of Istanbul, listening to Rocky shout at a waiter, <laughs> these little things like that. And it's, it, it was really like a little corner of Burnley in Istanbul, you know, the day of the game. It was, it was really fantastic, you know, uh, so many Burnley fans there making such a great noise. Uh, interacting with the locals, having a good laugh, having a bit of a sing, having a bit of a dance. Uh, it was everything that you really want a European game to be, you know. Uh, great atmosphere, great day out. Everyone's having fun. Everyone's having a laugh. Uh, and you get to see a bit of football at the end of it. So it, it was really a really surreal experience, but really, really fantastic. The kind of thing that you'll still be talking about in 50 years, definitely. Yeah, I can imagine. So what was it? I mean, did you manage to, like, what, what was the logistics like of it when you get off the plane? You know, I, I heard some fans saying that you had to get buses all the way to the ground. You know, what was it like? Was it easy to manage, I guess? Uh, I think, to be fair to the club, they, um, for saying how they only had a week to put it all together, it, it was really well managed. Um, obviously, there was the rumblings before that there was going to be a bit of trouble with Shiktas playing the same night. But they picked a really good spot for the hotel. So, you come down, uh, Sultan Ahmet Square was where the where the ticket collection point was. You've also got the small matter of the Blue Mosque to one side and the Hagia Sophia to the other side. So it's quite an in- impressive place to be, picking up your tickets. Amazing, amazing landmark. So we went to the hotel, picked the tickets up. There's a few pub- pubs, bars dotted around, plenty of Burnley fans in all of them. Um, and the coaches left from the square. So uh, a few, I think the club bought about, uh, about nine or ten buses. Um, all went in a bit of a convoy because uh, Bashakshir, I don't know if anyone's aware, but it's sort of, uh, it would be a bit like going to um, Trafalgar Square and then getting on a bus to Milton Keynes to watch uh, to watch them. It's, it was quite a long way away from anywhere that was sort of touristy or anywhere civilization-y. So it was good that the club put the, uh, put the buses on because it would have been really difficult to get there otherwise. Um, we made it most of the way in the buses, broke down just before getting to the ground, but we managed to sort out some Ubers, uh, got to the ground on time. Um, and yeah, it was a, a fantastic experience once you got there. Everyone, you know, all got our own little corner up in at the top of the stand. Uh, it was, you really felt like you were in Turkey because you had uh, the nets covering. So you presumably they're there to stop people throwing things onto the pitch when uh, the more boisterous sets of fans are in town. But uh, you know, everyone packed in the corner, everyone singing for 90 minutes. It's just like any other away game when you're in the ground. Really brilliant. Yeah, it really sounds it. What was the, was there sort of like a connection with the players? Because I always thought that like they must have looked up there and seen 500 Burnley fans all watching the game and had travelled all that way and spent all that money to watch them. And we could hear you singing so loud all the way through the game. There must have been a moment at the end of the game of a real appreciation from them. Yeah, especially with the kind of game it was, you know, it wasn't uh, one for the purists. It wasn't sort of pretty football, destroying in five now. We knew we had to dig in. We know we'd gone there to get a result, had a result that we could take back to the turf, you know, to give us a fighting chance in the second leg. And they did that. Uh, you know, there's been, there'd be some games where you'd watch that kind of a performance and there might be a few grumblings amongst the fans. There might be a bit of sort of, not, uh, you know, not booing, but a bit of sort of boredom setting in. But it was really, even though it was it was sort of playing out to a to, to its inevitable conclusion, there was a real, uh, real good spirit all the way through. And at the end, yeah, it was, again, it was one of those surreal moments. You think that you see the players walking over and you think, you know, I could be, I could be in, you know, I could be at Arsenal, I could be at Man United, but I'm actually 3,000 miles away in Istanbul 
the players coming over. And to be fair to them, um, they, just treated, they were really professional, actually. They treated it like it was any other, any other game, but you could see they just, just linger those extra few seconds at the end. Uh, and Sean Dyche really, uh, you know, his hands really going as well, really clapped. So it was, it was nice to get that, that, that appreciation as well. But uh, yeah, in, in, in some ways, it, it just felt like any other game. And that's probably a testament to how well they prepared for it and how professional the, the, the job that they did was. Yeah, it kind of doesn't surprise me, actually, because we know what Dyche is like and we know that he takes every game the same way and we know that he takes um, all his preparation seriously and, you know, there's a consistency about that side. Um, so, I guess, Tom, what did you think, turning, to, I guess, to the, the, the playing on the field, over the Aberdeen game and the the Istanbul game, and listeners, I'm, I'm calling them Istanbul and I realise that that's not their name, but I'm not going to subject you my terrible, terrible pronunciation of their name. Um, Tom, what did you think of the performances by the Clarets team over the, the two, well, three legs altogether? Do you think we are performing well in Europe or, you know, are we giving a good account of ourselves? I think first, uh, when they came out at Aberdeen, it was really good to see that we put the strongest team we could possibly put out. Uh, that gave me a lot of heart because it would be really be a shame to come to you know to to work so hard over a full season to get into Europe and then treat it like some of the other teams do, where they put reserve teams out and they, they don't seem too bothered about progressing. So uh, Aberdeen was great to see us put a strong team out, and there were two fantastic games of football, weren't they? I mean, it, it was so engrossing, such a, a close game, both legs. Uh, it was fantastic to come out on top, you know, extra time, the excitement of that, under the lights at the turf. Uh, really, really good game of football, but perhaps what was missing was just that kind of exotic feel, that sort of otherness that you, you, you know, Aberdeen is similar to kind of playing a, a British, you know, or an English team in a lot of ways, similar kind of football players that you recognise. So there were two fantastic games of football, but Istanbul then was a, a totally different experience. It was that, that different fan culture. I mean, Bishakshir, they didn't have a lot in the ground, so that has to be said. There's quite a lot of empty seats. Um, there was a few that were gamely trying. There was a few, uh, you know, jumping up and down, uh, trying to make a bit of noise. The whistling, even though there was only about three, 4,000 in the ground, the whistling when Joe Hart was taking his time with a goal kick, oh, it, 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 I would hate to hear what it sounds like. One's thirty or 40,000 people doing that because it, it, you could feel the pressure on the referee. Um, so that was that really felt like you were in Europe watching a game. That's the kind of thing that you see on the telly. Um, and the team that they had, I think, uh, in in Bishakshire, I think when, when when it was filtering through when we were on the buses going, obviously there was a few injuries. There's a few players that they didn't want to risk. Um, you know, Walters, Bardsley, not the kind of players who will start every game this season. So I think when we saw that, we thought, do you know what, a, a result will be good here. If we can keep ourselves in the tie, even if it's a 1-0 defeat or something like that, or a 2-1 defeat for an away goal, if we can keep ourselves in the tie going back to the turf, that'll be the main thing. Uh, I think with Shaq were missing a couple of players as well, Taran and, and Adebayor, they were missing. Uh, they might be back on Thursday, I'm not sure, but... I think with the team that we had out, um, it was a really good back-to-the-wall performance. We had a couple of moments where we could perhaps have nicked something, but we defended so well, uh, as we've come to expect from this team, defended so resolutely. Uh, we didn't really look in danger of losing it, and it's a good result to take back to uh, to Turf Moor. So, yeah, uh, uh, three really good games of football, three very different games of football, um, but three really good experiences as well. Oh, amazing. It just sounds so incredible and you can hear the enthusiasm coming from you. It must have just been such a fantastic experience. Um, before we let you go then, Tom, just a very quick prediction from you. How far do you think this Clarets side can go in this European competition? Uh, well, I, I think from the performance on Thursday, I don't think we've got too much to fear from Bishak Shear. I think uh, Taran, if he came back in, would make a big difference. Uh, obviously, Adebayo has got that pedigree as well, but I think we're fully capable of beating I mean, not just for Shakespeare, we're capable of beating anybody at home. We've proved that in the past. 
I think we'll beat Bishakshire. I think we'll get past them. Maybe 1-0, 2-1, something like that. Um, and I think it's Olympiacos in the next round. I think that will be a really difficult away game. But if we can go there, a similar kind of performance, get something there, no reason why we can't take them back to the turf. And if we could get through to the group stages, that would be another six European games. That would be another three trips to the far-flung corners of Europe. That'd be fantastic. I'd be absolutely delighted with that. So fingers crossed we can do that. Brilliant. Well, Tom, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your Istanbul experience. We're, we're very, very grateful. And uh, here's hoping that you you can get that passport out and go to other other areas. So, Robbie, let, let's come to you. Obviously, fantastic analysis there from Tom. How, how have you felt the European performances have been so far? Are you feeling happy with the squad selection? Do you think they've performed well? What's your views? I think in terms of the actual performance in Istanbul, it was actually really good. It was good to see us uh, show a bit of a different side because I didn't I thought it'd be a bit pre-season-y in a way but it looked like we had a bit of an intensity about us which we show quite a lot people kicked off about Phil Bardsley and John Walters starting I don't think that was much of a surprise to be honest I don't know what the backlash was why that really happened but the performance I thought was really positive defensively James Tarkovsky how he doesn't play for a, an established top six club is unbelievable because I thought he was outstanding. Yeah, I did as well, actually. I thought he, he'd made some good performances. I do wonder, actually, whether or not bringing Ben, ben Gibson in has maybe give him a little bit of a kick. Um, my view um, of, of talking at the end of last season, I felt like he'd been a little casual once he'd got his England call up. Uh, maybe, I don't know if it was overconfidence or maybe just felt like he, he was comfortable. But I think, you know, he's really he's really put in some fantastic performances as we've come to the season. Gemma, what about you? Do you feel we can go far in this competition? What have you made of Europe so far? I'm absolutely stunned that we're doing so well. I think, um, I saw some stuff online, I think it might even have been from yourself, but if we can go and play away and sort of scrape through with draws and, yeah, not playing the sexiest of football and then come home and have these nights at Turf Moor that we're going to have on Thursday that are going to be us watching our team in Europe, you know, we're not going to go and trance anybody. We know that we've got to save legs. We've got to, you know, conserve our energy. We've got to focus on the league, which is just mad that we are in a position to say that. Um, but it's, you know, it's just so exciting as a fan. And I think we've all got to remain quite objective as to what we're currently experiencing. I was watching some stuff over the weekend that was, you know, the maybe 10, 10 years ago of the Premier League. We weren't anywhere to be seen. And now we're sort of in this position where we're in Europe and we're, we're watching our team play teams we've never really heard of. So, yes, yeah, so I just think it's really exciting. I think it's amazing that with the injuries that we've got at the moment, that we've got even just a small amount of squad rotation and we've got confidence in the players that we're putting in. Um, you know, we've got players that we haven't even seen yet that we've signed. So I'm really excited about it. I think the prospect of who we could be playing in the next round is immense uh, I think we've all just got to enjoy it for what it is you know if it comes to an end it comes to an end but it's it's just so so exciting and uh, I'm actually taking my boyfriend on Turf Mall for the first time on Thursday so I need us to put a show on <laughs> this is someone uh, he's, he's a season ticket holder at Old Trafford so I'm thinking we've got a lot to uh, showcase yeah. <laughs> okay, so I think Clarets fans, I think we're all pretty confident that the Europa League campaign is going what is commonly known as very, very well. Um, so let's move on to matters of domestic football. And the Clarets opened up their Premier League campaign with an away fixture at Southampton. Traditionally, not a ground that the Clarets have done particularly very well in. Um, 
However, they managed to secure themselves a point and came back with what Deitch described as a winning draw or a winning point. I can't remember how he phrased it. But certainly some really positive, positive news coming out of, of, of St Mary's. Now, looking at the press today, I was really quite shocked by some of the reaction in the press. Um, Burnley traditionally have a very, I wouldn't say negative, but the press certainly like to call us direct and they like to say that we are, um, you know, we don't score very much, but we defend very well. And I don't think we've ever been known as an entertaining flair side. But some of the the comments today, I think one of the comments in the Telegraph was, Burnley played with a sort of attacking swagger that benefits their new status as one of the Premier League's representatives in European competition. Now, that really shocked me. So I had a look at some other recordings, as well, sorry, some other press releases as well to see what other journalists thought. The Independent said that we had fluent passing and impressive movement. And then The Guardian said that we had crisp passing football, which was a pleasant surprise uh, that quite surprised me really that, that Burnley were being talked about in such positive flair football Robbie let's start looking at you know breaking down the Saints game a little bit and seeing what um what we could have done differently or what we did well I want to concentrate firstly on our goalkeeper situation obviously Joe Hart joined us um on a deal and and Deitch is, is decided he's collecting England goalkeepers I think we've now got three-fifths of England's five keepers at, at the club um a lot of people were suggesting that, that Tom Heaton should have started but it was Joe Hart who got the nod in the head were you surprised by that and how do you think he did I wasn't sure who was going to start in goal. I was asked by people at work and I genuinely didn't have an answer for them. But when I did see the, the lineup, I wasn't surprised, if that makes sense. But I think I think Joe Hart was solid. I don't think I don't think he was seriously like tested. I think all the saves he had to make, you you would expect him to make. Just sticking with Joe Hart as well. I think this is a really good move for him in terms of just rebuilding his reputation. Two clean sheets in two games already. Um, that will do his confidence the world of good. Just with Burnley just defending relatively deep, really narrow and compact. He won't get exposed as much as maybe what he did at West Ham and his mistakes probably won't be as uh, noticeable. So I, th- I think it'll be a really good move. I think he's our number one now going into the season. I don't expect Heaton to come in on Thursday or again on Sunday against Watford. But in terms of the Southampton game, I thought the first 35 minutes was so good. I, I expected the performance to be really like fatigued and lethargic and a bit frustrating to watch but I thought some of the football we played was really good in that first half uh the second half Danny Ings come on in the last 25 minutes or so and he did begin to swing in Southampton's uh favour and then we just sort of we parked the bus basically and we just saw out the point yeah I think that's fair I think uh well let, let's have a look at the first one Tom um let's come to you next Cork scored pretty early on to, to put his one nil ahead and it was judged to end up being offside um pretty harshly offside I think I think the analysis shows that maybe a fraction of his heel was offside, and I, I'm not really sure how the linesman has given it there. But you know, number one is he offside, Tom, and number two, do you does that change the game if that goal stands? Uh, for me, he was just off. I think he had half a half a half a foot offside, and I think it's if your feet are over the line, then I think that's fair enough. I mean, I don't think the linesman can see from where he is. I think he's he's guessing really. For me, I, I think he was just about offside. But I think you're right. I think it definitely does change the game uh, if he scores it because I think uh, even the last 20 minutes when Samson were on top, I don't think they really looked like they were going to score. And if we if we get a goal at any point in that game, we're shutting up shop and we're taking a 1-0 easily. I think whether we, whether Cork scores there, whether Hendricks header goes in, whether Goodmanson makes a better connection in the second half, 
I think we would have won if we'd if we'd have got a goal. So hopefully we'll <laughs> I say hopefully we'll get the uh, the rub of the green and and that'll even itself. I it was it was quite a harsh offside, especially when you saw the one that Liverpool scored, or is about a foot offside. But uh, yeah, for me, I think it was just off. So I'm not going to complain too much. I thought a draw was a fair result in the end. Yeah, I think that's pretty much where everybody's saying, aren't they? In that probably, despite our dominating performance in the first, say, 60 minutes of the game, Hughes made some pretty good tactical changes and actually got them back into the game to the point where some people were suggesting that we were maybe hanging on a little bit towards the end. I think, Gemma, let's come to you next. I mean, one thing that a lot of people are saying is that it was a really, really impressive defensive display. Now, on the flip side of that, a lot of people maybe thought that he maybe sat back a little bit too early and conceded the game on 60 minutes, which left us with a good half an hour just to invite that Southampton pressure to, to maybe try and win the game. I mean, where do you stand with this? Was it an immaculate defensive display or do you think we maybe sat back a bit too early? I think we sat back early if we hadn't have had the fixture run that we've had in the past couple of weeks and the games coming up that we've got um, coming up in the next week it's a hard one because we all want to see Burnley go in do what we will do sort of like you know as Tom was just saying pack up shop 60 minutes one nil up and you know walk away with the three points um I think there's a lot to be said for how we perform as a defensive unit I think we're incredible to watch when we switch on uh, as you were saying about talks I thought it was really interesting um, and I totally agreed I thought to the latter part of last season um there was quite a few mistakes being made it was a little bit clunky at times for me with talks but then this season I think, as you said, you know, the signings that we've made, I think he's had to switch it on a little bit. Um, and I think in terms of our defensive performance at the weekend, it was a bit of a masterclass. Um, there's a lot of teams in that league that can score. Um, there's not a lot that can defend really well. And I do think that there's no harm in that being your strength. You know, it's, we all laugh and we say it's the Sean Dash way. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, and I think it's really testament. It's not just a testament to Sean Dash. I think, you know, Billy Mercer and the work that he does with goalkeepers, we've all been saying about Joe Hart getting a new lease of life because he's going to be working with Billy Mercer. I think as a defensive unit and as I think, you know, to keep clean sheets, that really mustn't be overlooked in, in Premier League football, especially when, you you know, you see some of the strikers and, you know, forward play that you do have coming towards you. Um, I was absolutely chuffed with the score at the weekend. Um, you know, maybe it's, you know, a bit soft to be saying, oh, well, we travel a lot. But, you know, we were playing, you know, we were playing on Thursday in the game that we were playing to then come back you know, fly back the next day to then have to go down to Southampton. That's a lot of air miles we're racking up in a very short amount of time. That's probably all the air miles we've racked up in the past 10 years at Burnley. Um, You know, so I think it's, I really think it can't be overlooked what we achieved at the weekend. And, you know, if if that's going to happen, you know, every now and again, when we've got these kind of games, I'm all for it. You know, it was a bit of a masterclass for me at the weekend. Yeah, I don't disagree with that, actually. I think one of the things that I tend to look at is that you have to, win your home games and draw your away games that's pretty much a, a recognized um blueprint for for a, for a season whether that be premier league or, or that you're trying to survive in or maybe um or actually thriving or you know championship trying to get out of there so i think certainly to go away to southampton to get a point in that manner is very impressive i wonder whether maybe attitudes have changed slightly because because Southampton struggled last season and they did nearly go down in the end that people maybe thought that Southampton was a much easier place to go and get um, a result than it actually is so we do need to be um, I guess careful that our expectations now were a big 
big shot European side don't <laughs> don't end up <laughs> running away with us in a little bit. One final thing to have a look at, Tom. Ben Mee. Many people suggesting that he conceded a penalty in the later stages of the game. Did you see much of that and was that a penalty for you? Yeah, it was a bit of a coming together, wasn't it? No surprise to hear Mark Hughes say it was a definite penalty. <laughs> I think it was one of them. I don't think you could have complained too much had it been given, but I think it would have been a soft one. He comes across, he's perhaps a little bit rash. I think he gets a little bit of the ball and a little bit of his ankle. I think Ings knows that he isn't going anywhere and he goes down a bit easy, he's looking for it. I don't think we could have complained massively had it been given, but I think it's like the uh, the offside goal. I think it was perhaps a, a, touch, uh, a touch harsh, but ultimately it was the right decision for me. That's a very, very good answer, Tom. That's a very... I guess what's a platonic answer. I think that's a very good one. He'll be a politician, Tom. <laughs> um, let's move on to some predictions for, for Watford. Tom, what about you? Predictions? Yeah, I fancy us to win this one as well. I think it'll be even more comfortable than that. I'll say 2-0. This is fantastic. Gemma? I'm optimistic. I'm concerned that we're going to be slightly tired and I'm concerned that we're not scoring and taking the chances that we've got at the moment. So I'm going to just go for a 1-0 win. But as long as Andre Gray doesn't get on the score sheet, I am a happy lady. Amen to that. And Robbie, are we going to get a clean sweep? What do you think? Yeah, I agree with Gemma. I don't think it would be pretty. I think it would be one of those Sean Dyche type performances, just get the result. So I'm just going to go for a scrappy 1-0 win. Excellent. And I am going to agree, except I'm feeling positive. I'm going to put Clarets to win by 3-0. You see, this is what happens. James isn't here and I suddenly start getting all excited and nobody's to calm me down. Robbie, just don't forget, this is your this is your role in this team to stop me getting excited. I'll try again next week. Excellent. Yeah, keep me grounded. And talking of the build-up to the Watford game at the weekend, and indeed the second leg of the Europa League, we mentioned at the beginning of the show that we are joined this season by the club statistician, Dave Roberts. So what we want this season is some stats. And who better to provide us with that than the one and only Dave Roberts? Now, regular listeners and certainly those people who either follow you on Twitter or watch Clarets play from time to time will be familiar with your work. Um, what we're looking for this season, Dave, is just something a little bit different. Instead of the usual preview to the games and, and wondering who the teams are going to be, where we're going, whether we think we'll win, we want some details, Dave. We hit us with some stats? What can we expect? I'll try my best. Uh, we'll go back and look at the uh, previous matches against uh, Watford at Turf Moor. Uh, they've not got the best record travelling up north. Uh, Burnley have actually uh, remained unbeaten in the last 10 matches uh, against Watford. In fact, Watford have only ever won twice at Turf Moor. They've played 20 times. Um, we don't have a long history against them. You've got to go back to only 1972, the first time we played against them. Um, but as I said, they've only won twice in that time. But uh, one of those in particular is quite a memorable match going back to April 2003. Uh, they ended up with a, a 7-4 victory at Turf Moor. Gareth Taylor scored a hat-trick for Burnley and still managed to uh, end up on the uh, on the losing side that day. Uh, it was five. He was four. one of my early Burnley... Sorry, Dave. He was one of my early Burnley crushes. was Gareth Taylor. <laughs> He's stealing my heart a little bit with these stats. <laughs> Yeah, it's going, Sorry, going, going back a while, 15 years now. It's, uh, it's uh, Okay, don't say that. Little... You're ageing me. <laughs> <laughs> that very I, I early remember. crush listeners, really early crush. 
<laughs> I remember it well. Um, yeah, so it, it was it was it was five four at half time. We actually uh, we didn't have a scoreboard or a screen at Turf Moor back then, and it was a case of people trying to remember what the score actually was. It was uh, five four at half time. It, it, it didn't get much better in the second half because they scored two more goals and ended up uh, uh, seven four. Uh, winners and then they won again oh, the following season uh, beat us uh, 3-2 we struggled a bit towards the end of the uh, 2004 season as well so but they're the only two victories Watford have ever had at Turf Moor the last 10 matches as I say well, I was gonna say I hope it gets better Dave because you're kind of depressing you, you, you bring well, us down yeah. a bit here Dave come on give I'm us some build, good news I'm building us up they, they were the only two <laughs> victories so the, the the last 10 matches since uh, 2005 uh, Burnley have won six of them and uh, they've drawn four uh, and the two previous Premier League meetings, uh, first of all, September 2016, uh, Burnley won uh, 2-0. Uh, and then uh, last season, Burnley won 1-0 with a goal from uh, from Scott Arfield. So we're hoping for a, a hat-trick of victories in the Premier League against Watford on uh, on Sunday. Oh, that would be nice. Sounds like there's quite a few goals in these games as well, which is what we were obviously talking about earlier on in the podcast, in that Burnley um, have been creating quite a lot of chances so far this this um, early stage of the season. So hopefully we can get some of those converted. Uh, well, yeah, we've, we've averaged more than two goals a game. So in, in 20 matches, we've scored 43 goals. So nice. um, let's hope we can, like uh, we can keep that up. I love it. And you're going to be joining us for the rest of the season, aren't you, with um, some stats and some facts and figures for us. Um, is there anything particular that you can get us up for? Is there anything that our listeners can request? Can they have like a sort of request a bet? Can they have like request a stat? Um, well, a there's, 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 well, I guess I guess we could do that. Um, there's lots of stats already out there. I've got a, a, a stats page. If you if you search for me on Twitter or search for Burnley Stats, or one word, um, should come up with uh, my details. There's some links I've put on the um, pin tweet um, on my uh, Twitter profile as well, including a, um, a page I set up for No Nay Never, which is the head-to-head. So if you go on there, click on that link, it's um, bitbit.ly for the short link slash and then all in capitals um n n n for no name ever head number two head head to head um that will come through to a page which basically shows you the historical results it starts with um blackburn rovers as the uh as the default mm-hmm. team on there but you which we're actually ahead now we've had a, obviously a good record recently against them and um we'll be playing them for a while though will we um we will not but you can change that. You can change and put any team we've played previously. You can switch it. You can just have home games. You can have away games. And you can play with that to your heart's content. So there's there's that on there. And that's just one of about 30 or 40 different reports that are on there. So uh, go on there Excellent. And, and have a look. And what's your Twitter handle, Dave? Where can our listeners find you? Um, it's uh, DL Roberts, but without the vowels. So it's D-L-R-B-R-T-S. Excellent. Well, that's going to be, I'm really looking forward to this, Dave. Actually, I think it's going to be something a little bit different before we uh, we obviously get into to the nitty gritty of the game. Um, what are your thoughts so far this season before I let you go? Have you been impressed with Burnley's European campaign? What did you think of you know our early performances? Yeah, we've had a, a solid start. I mean, it's been been odd, hasn't it, having the uh, the European matches so early in the season. But I think we've kind of hit the ground running with them. We've obviously got through against Aberdeen. We've set the match up, well, set the uh, tie up well getting the uh, the draw out in Istanbul so you know hopefully that uh, that augurs well for uh, for Thursday's game and then if we can get through there then obviously we've got uh, another tie 
um, looking likely to be uh, Olympiacos. Who obviously they've got a big lead from mm, the uh, yeah. from the first leg, um, and Is then it from there. I think he finished four 0 in the end, yeah. So it's uh, it's yeah. it's a foregone conclusion, you would think from uh, from from that one. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But we've obviously got to concentrate on our game, you know, one game at a time. See how we do on uh, Thursday, and then obviously the the you know it's coming thick and fast with the game against Watford on Sunday as well. Exactly, straight out of the Sean Dyche phrase book. I'm very impressed, Dave. And I'm on the, the vital... sheet, yeah. <laughs> uh, very much on brand. I like it. Um, the key question then before you go, we've touched on this during tonight's podcast. Let's ask for your opinion. Hart or Heaton? Um, at the moment, Hart. Yeah, he's, he's, he's got the shirt. Yeah. He's kept two clean sheets. So, uh, yeah, keep him in. Definitely. I'm going to make a bold prediction here, listeners. I'm going to get so many tweets of this. But my prediction is that Tom Heaton and Nick Pope will not find their way back into the number one slot anytime soon. Now, that's my prediction. That's a bit of an easy claim with where Nick Pope's concerned because he's injured. But I genuinely believe with Billy Mercer's coaching and Sean Dyche's confidence man management that Hart will claim that number one jersey for his own and he will not get displaced out of the side. How's that for controversial, Dave? It, well, it could happen. Yeah, it's... it's uh, <laughs> Definitely it's, could. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not disagreeing with you there. <laughs> very wise start to the podcast Dave very wise welcome to the team you know who's boss already <laughs> well Dave thank you so much and I'm really looking forward to seeing your input for the rest of the season and for getting our stats in um, readiness for our upcoming games um, and yeah we'll look forward to speaking to you okay thank you that is all we have time for this week listeners it's been a whirlwind introduction to the new season we've got a new team we have got new features we've got some new opinions and some new voices and we've got a new podcast but most importantly we have got the same old clarets that we know and love and we cannot wait to see what this season brings and to bring you as much analysis and talk as we possibly can um thanks as ever go to matt for producing this podcast i think we might have had a couple of technical hitches this week so i'm hoping it's not going to be too bad to edit matt um thanks also to rabbit to gemma to Dave and to Tom for joining me on the recording but thanks go again to you the listener for downloading and listening to this episode we would not be here without you and your support is very much appreciated this has been the Known and Ever podcast I've been Natalie Bromley until next time days are great but there's nothing quite like playing at home the same goes for mcdonald's maximize your home ground advantage with mcdelivery order now on the mcdonald's app at participating restaurants 18 plus serving times delivery fee and terms apply see mcdonald's.com and there it is that's as good as it gets on this stage nissan townstar ev strikes again it's an unstoppable van unstoppable just fantastic you can actually see the pro pilot technology in action effortless parallel parking it moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty and with a bench full of all-star van experts there's real strength in depth here that's all-star quality search nissan townstar ev and visit your local all-star van center to see for yourself Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. 
This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.